I guess some of you saw me get up and go to the back. You thought, man, we're going to get out early this morning. No, really and truly, all it was is I had to go get the microphone because I didn't have it, and I didn't want to have to stand behind the thing and be still this morning as we, as we speak. We're so glad that you're here today, so thankful that you've chosen to be with us. We have some guests here today, and we're thankful for that. And among those guests, we have some who are special to me. We have family from the Atwood congregation who are with us, Brian and Amy and Laura and, and Mary Grace Millsaps. We're so thankful that they've uh, stopped by today. They're on their way for some vacation days down in Mobile, South Alabama, and we're thankful for that and always enjoy seeing them. As a matter of fact, you know, when we, when we see those uh, familiar faces, sometimes it's a surprise, and I happen to see uh, Mary Grace as I was walking down the hall. She didn't know I'd seen her. But then she came out to, to greet me and stuff, but uh, we are so thankful that, uh, that they are here. Two weeks from, uh, or a week from this coming Wednesday night, uh, we have uh, Brother Mark Martin this week, but uh, uh, two weeks uh, away almost uh, on the 20th, let me just put it that way, we have Josh Webb. Josh is the nephew of Amy. Uh, he grew up there at Atwood, and he works for the Riggs Congregation. He's the youth minister at the Riggs Congregation in, uh, up in Tennessee, and so he will be our Wednesday night speaker, not this coming week, but uh, on the 20th. And so we're thankful that Brian and Amy are here. We're thankful that Josh will get to be here, and I'm probably going to be in trouble because Marlene had to work today, and she didn't get to see Brian and Amy and Laura and Mary Grace, and so uh, I'll try to get a picture with them, you know, before we leave. That way I can rub it in a little bit and all of those kind of things. But we are thankful that they're here. We're thankful that you are here as well. Don't forget camp coming up this week. We'll be leaving on Thursday, and, and uh, that will go through. Uh, there will be some, I think, who are staying through Sunday morning. But uh, we want you to know that you're welcome. If you haven't filled out your... Uh, uh, sheet, your registration, please uh, do that and uh, get that in to us today if you can. So that way we'll know how much food to prepare for, how many people to prepare for, and, and be ready for that. But they are out there on the table in the foyer, so please pick those up. How many of you know a perfect person? Anybody? Anybody know a perfect person? I'm not talking about Jesus, but how many of us know a perfect person? How many of you are here today believe that you are a perfect person? You know, your spouse tells you you believe that you're a perfect person every once in a while. I see some of you looking around and smiling at the husband or wife or whatever. You know, we get to thinking about that and we say, you know, here are some perfect people, but, but somebody says, preacher says, you know that you can't be perfect because no one is really and truly perfect, are they? Well, as we think about that, you know, that sort of stands to reason. That's what we've always been taught, isn't it? That, that really no one can be perfect. But then I come to a passage of Scripture found in the Word of God in Matthew chapter 5, which says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And now... Because I, 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 I know that I'm not perfect. You know, I sort of had to admit that because I, I didn't see anyone really raise their hand and say, you know, I'm a perfect person. But, but I know I'm not perfect, but God says for me to be perfect and therefore it causes me some conflict in, in my life. You know, I don't know if I can measure up. I don't know if I can make the grade. I don't know if I'm really the kind of person that God wants me to be. 
Have any of us ever felt like that? You know, that, that we're really, we're not a super Christian. We're not, we're, we're not one who's, who's really up here in our own eyes. Uh, maybe we have some self-esteem issues and we think, you know, I just can't measure up to what God wants. God says be perfect and I recognize the fact, I realize that I'm really not perfect. Jesus says that we must be perfect though. And as I think about that, you know, how am I going to be that kind of person? Jesus says His disciples must be perfect. So how am I going to accomplish that? Did, did God demand something that's truly impossible for me to do? If I can't make the grade, if I can't measure up, if, I, if I'm really not up there... You know, I struggle along the way, and can I really be perfect? And did you notice in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says that we must be perfect, and he didn't just leave it at that. He said we must be perfect like God's perfect. And so, how in the world will I ever make that? Anybody ever struggle with things when it comes to that kind of thinking, that kind of attitude? You know, I realize that God does intend for us to aim for that which is high. He wants us to get to the highest mark in our life. He, he always wants us to do the best that we possibly can. So we aim for the sky. We aim for heaven. That, that's really and truly where we put our aim. That should be where our standards are. But one thing you know I need to remember as I looked at the Word of God and I think about the ideas that are presented to us in Scripture and the fact that we are to be perfect as God is perfect, you know, I'm reminded of another passage that I really need to consider. This one in the Old Testament, the Psalm, Psalm 78, verses 38 and 39. I want you to notice a particular phrase that's found within this reading. He says, Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them, comings. He, he knew that before the world ever was created, back when he was planning somewhere in eternity, back when he was planning, when he was, when he was making it possible for us to live here on this, on this sphere that we're living One that he would that he would uh, use to redeem mankind, mankind who would not be perfect. You see, God remembered that we are but flesh. Aren't we thankful for His grace and for His mercy and for His loving kindness when we're not perfect? But you know what? I still have to deal with Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. I can't just ignore it and say, well, God doesn't expect me to be perfect because Jesus didn't say, I wish you would be perfect. Jesus didn't say, you know, you, you really 
might want to consider being perfect. He says you must be perfect. And he gave the standard as God is perfect. I've still got to deal with that, don't I? So how do I deal with it? Well, let's analyze that passage before we go any farther. Let's, let's go and let's begin reading again in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 43 this time. And let's go all the way through verse number 48 as we read it together. He says, You have heard that it was said. Now remember, Jesus is in the midst of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's within this passage that, that he says a number of things. You have heard that it was said, but, but this is what I say. Okay? And down at the end of this passage in verse 48, you know, that's what Jesus said. Okay? You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, in this specific passage, Jesus urges perfection. He urges going above and beyond what others are doing. As his followers, we can't be like the world. He uses the terminology as the Gentiles do. And, and quite often when we see that terminology, it's, it's simple terminology that, that refers to anyone who's not a Christian, not one of God's people. He says even the Gentiles love and do good to people who love them and do good to them. He says, but you've got to go beyond that. You've got to be like God. Matter of fact, if you notice there at the first part of that reading, he's talking about loving your enemies and doing those things so that you can be a son of your Father who is in heaven. You see, that's what God's people do. They go above and beyond. They go, as sometimes we put it, they go the second mile and even beyond that because they are trying to be like God. In this passage, what he's having reference to and, and specifically speaking about is the love that we have for other folks around us. You know, a lot of people hold grudges. A lot of people say, well, if you treat me in this way, I'm going to treat you just like you treated me. And that's not what God does. You see, God was mistreated by mankind when we sinned against Him. But God still sent His Son to die for us. We get up in the morning and God doesn't say, okay, you know, you sinned yesterday so you don't get any sunshine on your garden or you don't get any rain on your garden. And your neighbor, though, he, he, did, he did pretty good yesterday. No, the Bible says he causes his sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. He causes his rain to fall on the, on the just and on the unjust, the good and the evil. God treats people alike. He won't tolerate sin. That's not what we're saying. He's not going to excuse it in any way, but he still loves even the vilest sinner. 
And he wants the vilest sinner to come home and live with him for eternity. He says, if we want to do what's right, we've got to be like God in that way. We've got to go above and beyond. We've got to be perfect, especially in this passage, be perfect like our Heavenly Father. And so when we look at it, we've dealt with it this morning. We understand that he is he's speaking of, at least in this passage, one specific thought and one specific thing that we need to remember. We do understand that God wants us to always aim for the highest mark. We've already looked at that, but God does remember that we are flesh, that we do have weaknesses. But there are some things that we can achieve almost as much as God does, at least in the actions that we put forth, and in particular toward those who are around us. But you know, as I think about that, it ought to comfort me to know that, that I can't be exactly like God in everything. I, I can't be perfect, sinlessly perfect, for sure, because I've already sinned. God never did one thing wrong. Jesus lived an entire lifetime here on this earth, 33 years, and He never did one thing wrong. And God has lived for eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've never done one thing wrong eternally on either end, going either direction. I can strive to, to work hard to love my enemies and fulfill the things that are said here in this passage. But you know what? Even having said that and maybe coming to a better understanding of it, there are still some folks who, who really and truly have an obsession, and that obsession is being perfect. They think everything must be perfect in their life, in the way that they, they handle things. And, and we call that kind of person a perfectionist. Now, let me ask you another question this morning. I ask you the question, do you know anyone who's perfect? And, and we kidded about it a little bit. But, but if I ask you this question this morning, do you know any perfectionists? That might be a different answer. You, you may have something else to say. You may have someone in mind who you think of as a perfectionist. It may have been your parents. It may have been a husband or a wife. It may be a boss. It may be somebody else that you're close to in this life who is a perfectionist, and because of that, whoa, wait a minute, things don't work too good. You know, there are a lot of characteristics of perfectionists. I've got ten listed this morning. I'm not going to go through all ten of the ones that I have written down for the sake of time this morning, but, but let me just hit two or three of them. Number one on my list is, for the perfectionist, there's no room for mistakes. None. You just don't make mistakes in their life. You, 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 can't, you can't be wrong. God's not a perfectionist in that sense because He recognizes, we've already noted from the Psalms, that we're but flesh. He realizes that, but there are people in our world who do not realize that. If you do not get a hundred on every grade, if you do not score a touchdown every time you touch the ball, if you don't hit a home run every time you bat, if you don't strike out the pitcher, if you're the pitcher, or the, the hitter, if you're the pitcher, if you don't strike them out every time, then you've done something wrong. There's no room for mistakes in the life of many. And that applies to other people and it applies to themselves as well. And so they become extremely hard 
on themselves and on other people. Extremely hard, sometimes even so hard that they can't even live with themselves because they just can't meet the standards. They have extremely high standards and they simply cannot meet them. As a result of that, perfectionists quite often suffer from low self-esteem. They, they really don't see any worth in themselves. Even though they're trying to do everything perfectly, they, they really just understanding they don't meet up with it, they, they have a really low opinion of themselves because I can't meet my own standards. They're so high. And they become anxious. They become depressed. It brings them to a life of misery. Perfectionism leads to misery. You see, creation, I mean, perfectionism, it uh, creates problems with my feelings toward myself. Let me ask you that question again this morning. Do you know any perfectionist? And if you yourself may have some of the characteristics, and again, I only mentioned a few, and there are a number of others that, that any perfectionist would know that it's a characteristic of a perfectionist. If you're suffering from perfectionism, how's your relationship with yourself? Do we not read where the Bible said, our own Savior says, the first and great commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor. Some of you are trying to finish that. As yourself. You see, we have to have the right kind of relationship with ourselves. We're valuable people. We're valuable to God. God sent His Son to die for you and for me. I've said it before, I'll say it again this morning. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, Paul the Apostle speaking said, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. John 3.16 said, God loved the world. He gave His Son for the world. But Paul narrows it down. He said, God loves me. And Jesus gave His life for me. We are valuable. We don't need to create problems when we don't need to with ourselves. We, we can't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. That's wrong too. But we've got to have the right relationship with ourselves. Perfectionism causes us to think more lowly of ourselves than we should. And that's not good. Perfectionism also creates problems with my relationships with other folks. I mentioned a minute ago, you know, sometimes parents are perfectionists, and so they, they are hard on their children. You know what that causes their children to be? Bitter. Bitter. Because they can't live up to the standards. It's not that, that sometimes perfectionist parents say to their children, okay, we want you to do the best that you can, and when you've done the best that you can, we're satisfied, we're happy, and we want you to strive to go beyond. But they want them to be perfect. They never say 
the wrong thing. They never act the wrong way. They, they, they never do the, the... They never make a mistake. And they're always griping. they got the mean scowl on their face like, Why did you not live up to my expectations? And it causes relationship problems, not just with parents and children, but with the other relationships that I mentioned earlier, husbands and wives. How many divorces have taken place because one or the other was a perfectionist? And the spouse could not live up to the expectations. How many good employees have left the employment of an employer, say that five times real fast, because the employer was a perfectionist? And when you, when you constantly don't allow folks to make mistakes... You're hard to live with. Nobody, not even good employees, will tolerate that very long. Some employers can't understand why in the world do we have such a turnover in the employees that we have. If they would look in the mirror sometimes, they'd see the answer to the problem. Not all the time, I'm not saying, but we need to be careful. Perfectionism causes problems with our relationships. But you know what? Perfectionism creates problems with my relationship to my God. I want you to think about very briefly this morning some things, some characteristics that that might be causing problems. You know, everything and everyone must be perfect or I just won't attend church at a certain place. You ever heard anyone speak about the hypocrites over there at that place? Just because everyone's not perfect, I'm not going. Or, or just because there are some problems, i got news for you, every congregation has problems. Because every congregation of people has, oh, people. And since everything's not right, not perfect, then I just won't be a part of it. You know, all things in my life have to be perfectly in order before I can participate in the work of the Lord. Have you ever heard someone say, when I get this part of my life straightened out, then I'm going to start the church. And years go by and they haven't gotten that part of their life straightened out, or maybe they did, and yet something else in their life came up that says that they replaced that first thing with. All things in my life have to be perfectly in order before I can be a part of the Lord's church. You see there, we're not blaming other folks, we're blaming ourselves. And that's not right either. It can be... You know, even attending services and things of that nature. My house has got to be clean or I can't go to worship or my kids have to get their homework done and, or, or I, can't, I can't be a part of God's work or, 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 or I've got to not have so many distractions and temptations in my life or, or my clothes are not as good as other folks' clothes. Or 
We may not think we wear the characteristics or the hat of a perfectionist, but sometimes we at least act like it. And that's not right. It's not good. It's not the way we should be as God's people. Some people in working for the Lord and how perfectionism relates to my problem or a problem creates a problem with my relationship with God, you, you know, they think they can't complete a task perfectly and so they won't even attempt it. I stammer when I pray and so I simply won't lead a prayer. I might not be able to answer a question someone asked me and so I'm certainly not going to try to teach them if I can't answer every question. Let me tell you something, folks. I've had the privilege of studying God's Word on a daily basis for a number of years and I can't answer everybody's questions. You can ask me and I'll try. And if I don't know the answer, you know what I'm going to say? Let me have a little time and I'll try to find the answer for you. And there's not a soul in this room today who couldn't say the same thing. We don't have to have perfection. My voice is not like that of a professional, so I can't sing. On and on and on I could go. But we exhibit the characteristics of a perfectionist, and it hinders the work of the Lord. It hinders our relationship to Him. Let me suggest to you this morning that before we close our lesson that Christians, we have to be content with blamelessness, not perfection. Blamelessness. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. If you're reading from the English Standard Version, the passage goes like this, a man who was blameless and upright who feared God and turned away from evil. If you read that from the King James Version, you'll get a different reading of it. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Please show me out of the book of Job where Job fit our thinking of being perfect. Job wasn't always sinless, but he was blameless in the sight of God. And that's what we strive to be. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, An overseer, an elder in the Lord's church, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Again, if you're reading that from a different translation than the English Standard Version, the word... Blameless is used. Above reproach is the way that the English Standard Version translates it. The Gospel Advocate Commentary on that passage says, Men whose character is unimpeachable, who stand high in public estimation, known for their pure life and integrity. That's the way that we want to be. The word that's used there is a word which is related. It's the word from which we get our word epilepsy. 
That word blameless, that's the original word. It's, it's the word from which, we, from which we get our word epilepsy. Epilepsy means to be characterized by seizure. The reason that applies in this case is the conduct of the person must not make it possible for someone to seize upon their life. The conduct must be such that it will be impossible for anyone to seize upon a flaw in their character. To seize. Once we've done our best, encourage those around us to do their best, then we've done what God requires of us. Doing our best. Once we've done that, the responsibility, it passes to another person. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 is a passage that reminds us of that. It says, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. If you don't say anything to him, his blood I'll require at your hand. But if you do warn him, verse 19, and he doesn't turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you've delivered your soul. In a perfect world, you would be able to convince every person of wrong that they are about to do or are doing in their life. You'd be able to to, to talk them out of it, to get them to straighten up their life. In a perfect world, you could do that. The world's not perfect. But what God points out is this. You've got to do your best to try to help that person. If you warn him and he doesn't turn, it's on him. If you don't, He's still going to have to pay for it, but you will too. The principle is we do our best. Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. The Bible says, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Did Paul convert everyone? Did Paul take everyone who was associated with him? Did he, did he make sure that every one of them got to heaven? Nope. He mentioned some names, doesn't he? Folks who are associated with him. But Paul said, I'm clear. Because I always declared to everyone everything God said about it. Paul said, I did my best. If Paul, after doing that, could make the statement that he made that's recorded by inspiration for us, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. Y'all remember that one? Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown. Not to me only, but to all those who 
Basically do the same thing that Paul does. Paul can make that statement. So can we. Perfectionism is dangerous. It's dangerous for the life that we live here. It's dangerous for the life that we'll be judged for before God. Let me encourage you, if you are a perfectionist, to realize that you're not perfect. Let me, let me encourage you this morning that if you don't admit to being a perfectionist, but you've allowed some of these characteristics to haunt you, your relationship with others and your relationship with God, you need to make some changes in your life. Sometime, the one who stands between you and God is not another person. Sometimes, it's us, our own selves. Don't let yourself stand between peace, harmony, in your relationships here, but more importantly, in your service and relationship to your God. It may be this morning that you realize that you are imperfect, that you realize that you need forgiveness from God, and you've never obeyed the gospel. You've never put your Lord on in baptism. Today's the day. Your sins, your imperfections can be washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and in the past you've done that, but, but you haven't always done what you should still. I am thankful for the grace of God who realized that we are still, even after being baptized for the remission of our sins, we're still but flesh. And he made it possible for us to have forgiveness by praying for that forgiveness. It may be this morning that you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in a public way. For whatever reason it may be, if you need to do that, come right now as we stand as we sing. Leave with him your care and begin life anew. Kneel at the cross. Leave every care. Kneel at the the cross.
meet you there. Kneel at the cross, give your idols up, look unto realms above. Turn not again to life's sparkling cup, trust always in His love. Kneel at the cross, leave every care. Kneel at the cross, Jesus will meet you there. Real quickly, just want to make a brief announcement. Where's Bo? Is it was it Helen that passed? Was it Helen that passed? Okay, uh, Helen Bonner. This is a neighbor of Bo and Alicia Myers. Passed away this morning, and some of you may know uh, the Bonners, but um, we want to express our sympathy to that family, and also remember them in our prayers as well. We appreciate your presence this morning. We don't have any additional updates to make from those that are in the bulletin. So please, if you have not picked up a bulletin, please do so.